Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Daily Zen Podcast. My name is Charlie Ambler, creator of the Daily Zen. You can find us at dailyzen.com, excuse me, twitter.com slash dailyzen. And then this podcast is available both on iTunes and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash charlie-ambler. I've been away for most of the week because I was taking a good old-fashioned American road trip, which was a really fun experience. And now I'm back for two days, and then I'm going to a retreat in California with my friend Jason Garner, who, if you've been following me for a long time, you're probably familiar with. Um, He's a just wonderful friend and supporter of Daily Zen and has just taught me a number of important lessons over the years, and his writings, I think, resonate with me more than most people's because they're very honest and they're not coming from a place of um, perceived superiority or anything. They're sort of just these very very sober and entertaining reflections on life from the perspective of a meditator who started later in life, which I think is even more um, special because he has both a layman's attitude and a devotee's attitude. Beginner's mind and expert's mind. Uh, so I'll be going on a retreat in um, California with him. It's hosted by the Pacific Zen Institute. And it's called Mysterious Paths. Um, and will be led by John Tarrant, who's a really wonderful teacher who Jason introduced me to. So if anyone uh, lives in that area by any crazy chance and is looking for something to do um, this week, I think it's going to be a really excellent experience. I've never done a long retreat like that before, so that will be fun. Anyway, back to the topics of the podcast, I posted on Twitter this morning and asked what topics I should discuss and uh, got a fair amount of responses, definitely enough to warrant an episode. So the first one is concentration and mental health. Uh, The person says, talk about pharmaceuticals as a means to an end for happiness. I have a definitely... um, very personal opinions and heated opinions about the whole um, psychiatry industry and pharmaceutical industry. And I've gotten uh, some flack from people on Twitter and on my website for talking about meditation and its relation to mental illness and spirituality and its relationship to mental illness. And a lot of what we call mental illness as often being the result of... um, problems that are especially modern in nature and that come from the type of society that we live in today and the type of cultural and interpersonal influences that exist in society today more than they have in the past. Um, I've discussed in writings um, a bit about depression and how a lot of people think depression is caused by a chemical imbalance when that's only part of the story and um, neurologists to the extent that they're unable to cure depression, are also unable unable to figure out quite where it comes from. Um, anxiety can be medicated with psychiatric uh, pharmaceutical methods, but its fundamental source is obviously um, cannot be treated. You can only kind of treat the, you know, what you experience, which is this um, accelerated response to things and stress and tension and um, just terrible nervous energy. And so 
things like benzodiazepine diazepines and things like that are used to treat um, anxiety because they just calm the nervous system down kind of like alcohol does uh, the irony and sad thing being that a lot of them have the same effects as just normal narcotic drugs um, and are severely addictive and ruin a lot of people's lives even though they do provide some relief to a lot of people um, this is not to say that the psychiatric industry is one sort of big you know joke or lie or anything of course you know there's lots of people who experience really really severe difficulty in the day-to-day -day and um, their pharmaceutical prescriptions help them get through the day but I think from another point of view it's important to understand that if we're experiencing some sort of mental difficulty or mental illness uh, there's no reason to think that the only cure or the only relief that we're going to find is going to come from a doctor there's a modern misinterpretation of mental illness as being this purely clinical thing when in reality psychiatry is extremely controversial field and psychiatrists themselves are often battling with each other over how to define different things um, they're battling with the insurance industry and the pharmaceutical industry to figure out you know how to manage everything properly and there's a lot of bad um, you know bad motives that take advantage of people um, usually for money and prevent doctors and scientists from understanding the intricate and nuanced relationship between life um, the modern living with technology and culture and popular culture um, and spirituality which for a lot of people ends up coming into their lives as the result of some sort of brush with mental illness addiction loss um, all of these are sort of just natural elements of the human condition that um, we have started to treat in modern times like they're diseases or illnesses to be overcome when in fact they're things that we have to confront in reality and um, whether or not you uh, are being you know if you're if you have anxiety or attention deficit disorder or something and are using pharmaceutical drugs to treat those conditions there's no harm that can come from you trying to develop intrinsic natural ways to cope with those conditions that don't involve pharmaceuticals simultaneously so you know I'm someone who since I'm a since I was a child I've had severe ADHD and my parents opted to not get me medicated or treated or anything for it and so I've suffered with a lot of nervous energy and anxiety for most of my life but if I hadn't had to figure out a way to deal with it from inside of myself instead of taking drugs I wouldn't have been able to you know like I wouldn't probably wouldn't have discovered meditation I wouldn't have become so interested in exercise and weightlifting and all these things and I wouldn't have been as driven to try to figure out a way to um, help myself overcome those mental setbacks um, because there's a certain sense of self-empowerment that comes from taking your internal state into your own hands and instead of narcotizing yourselves with drugs alcohol therapy whatever it is um, figuring out ways internally to deal with these things because they're inevitable you know people a lot of people like to say that you know um, these conditions are brand names that are treatable illnesses and there's 
uh, ways to fix them, but they're not. Uh, anxiety and dread and existential terror and depression and sadness, even suicidal thoughts, these are all things that people have been experiencing throughout history because they're part of being alive. Part of being alive is coping with the meaninglessness of life. Uh, some of the feelings that we get as a result of stimuli in life, um, whether they be from relationships, from work, from loss, from just feeling malaise and banality, any of these things. It's all natural, and the modern world has trained people to be adverse to anything that makes them feel uncomfortable or difficult. And so it's very easy to act like a problem in your brain is treatable in the same way that a problem in your stomach is. Uh, the irony being that scientists understand how the stomach works, but they don't really fully understand how the brain works the same way we can't really know what exists in the outer parts of the universe. Uh, and any literature I've ever read on neurology has, you know, eventually that, that conclusion is um, sort of graced in some way because there's no way to, to say fundamentally this is how you cure anxiety. This is how you cure sadness, you know, because if you cure sadness, you effectively cure happiness. If you put someone on antidepressants, you often numb them to both the bad feelings and the good feelings. I've had multiple friends who've been put on these drugs and they, you know, they start to feel um, robotic after a certain period of time. Anyway, um, all the political discussions about the pharmaceutical industry aside, I advise anyone who believes that they suffer from mental health, uh, lack of concentration, heightened nervousness or anxiety, any of the th these things, to continue to explore within for strategies to deal with them. Um, that doesn't mean ignoring crucial professional help you've been given or being belligerent or anything, but it's important to remember that human beings have been dealing with these conditions without um, medical attention for thousands of years. And to combine the, the wonders of science and the benefits that come from the medical field in the, in the realm of mental illness and mental health with the benefits that have come from thousands of years of human experimentation with spirituality, meditation, prayer, anything, um, and to just explore all of these different avenues that you can, um, that you can use to alleviate yourself of the inevitable suffering that comes from life, that's, I think, a, a valuable approach. And part of spirituality is recognizing that the problems that you feel inside of you don't usually have external uh, solutions or external causes even. Um, we cause a lot of our own anxiety. We cause a lot of our own sadness. We cause a lot of our own happiness. We're responsible for most of our feelings. Um, and the things you do, the people you spend your time with, the experiences you've had in the past, the beliefs you have about the world, um, and the extent to which you know yourself from reflection and meditation and stuff, all of these contribute to the lens through which you view the world. And if that lens is clouded with, you know, misery, neurosis, anxiety, um, ego, self-consciousness, self um you know, abnegation or self-loathing, there's work to be done. And to pretend that that work is only work um, diagnosing and treating various diseases is limiting yourself severely. 
And so um, if you're feeling down or you're feeling anxious or you're feeling like you're overwhelmed and you can't function properly in the world, um, the spiritual world exists for a reason and it's always there. And there's always the opportunity to turn your attention inward, to detach yourself from all of these external variables and material um, fixes and material causes and reflect. And nothing bad, in my opinion, can ever come from reflection because it's all natural. <laughs> um, you know, you wouldn't tell a, um, someone with a cold to not drink any water because humans have to drink water the same way humans need to breathe and reflect and um, find multifaceted solutions to their problems because the world is multifaceted and there's no real way to navigate it without taking all of these different variables into account. So that was a long-winded answer, but that one's near and dear because I've seen a lot of people severely limited by their beliefs about the human brain and the human spirit and how they have, uh, how they've related to one another over time. Um, someone just said some of the, the deadly sins, lust, vanity, envy, jealousy. Um, that would take me four different episodes to navigate those topics. Um, but I think I will discuss the concept of envy just because for some reason lately I've run into um, just hearing friends' stories and different people's experiences with either being envious of them or others being envious of these people. Um, and I have had experiences in the past a lot with envy, but I don't think, the, the more I've focused on my meditation practice, the less envious I've been of anybody basically because I think once you start to find a, a core foundation of contentment within yourself, you stop comparing yourself so much to others and you stop thinking that others have it better than you. And uh, you can kind of just chill a little bit with that. So, I mean, envy comes from sort of the same thing that this belief uh, that something is wrong with your mind or your brain comes from, which is uh, this sort of attachment to all of these external variables. And so, you know, when you look at someone else and you can't get inside their head and you go, oh, that guy or that girl is so rich, so famous, so hot, has all these friends, has, doesn't have any problems, doesn't worry about anything, blah, blah, blah. Um, you're basically taking your internal insecurities, turning them into a external projection, putting it on someone else whose internal life you can never even begin to understand, A, because you probably don't communicate very much with them, and B, because it's impossible to get yourself inside the head of another person. And you're sort of creating a, you're creating a fantasy um, construction outside of both yourself and that person that you can hold on to in order to feel, um, in order to, to, abdicate yourself of responsibility for your own life, I think, a lot of times. Um, because when people feel unhappy, they start to blame them, you know, they start to feel jealous or envious of people who they think are happy because they think that those people have what they want, and they think that what they want is what's going to make them happy. 
Um, the irony being that we're wrong on all counts. Whenever we're envious, we're just wrong. Because the things that other people have don't make them happy, purely and simply. Um, they make themselves happy. You know, there are surface level examples where you're envious of someone's wealth or someone's appearance. There's deep examples where maybe someone who's lost a child is very envious of their neighbor or their friend who hasn't lost a child, um, or someone who's capable of having a child who's envious of someone who can't, or who, who's incapable of having a child who's envious of someone who can, um, someone who's physically disabled who's envious of someone who has their you know, full physical ability. And these are very, very, very deep, deep, um, troubling projections of insecurities that we put onto others uh, to make ourselves feel better. And that's, you know, we, we have to deal with whatever causes our envy we have to deal with in ourselves. And it sucks a lot of the time to have to deal with that, but there's no real way to avoid it. The same way there's no real way to avoid having to figure out how to function in the world while feeling depressed or feeling anxious or feeling neurotic or feeling OCD or, you know, anxiety or hyperactivity. The sort of way to spiritual maturity is to recognize, oh, I'm feeling envious. I'm dehumanizing this person by pretending that they have it so much better than me. Um, what am I so insecure about in myself that I need to do this? And not to beat ourselves up over it because everyone feels envious at some point. And a lot of times, inspiration to feel inspired by another person and not envious of them is what spurs a lot of our most heartfelt and, and um, constructive actions in the world. And that's a good thing. But to try to approach others with this idea of gratitude and inspiration and like them setting a good example for you instead of uh, you have that, I want that, I hate you because you have it and I want it. You know, that's like a very obviously unhealthy approach. Um, and the only real way to deal with it is to experience it, to step back with this reflective meditative mind and to say, okay, why am I acting like this? You know, what good, this isn't doing me any good and it's alienating me from this other person and maybe it's even making me treat this other person poorly. So the way forward from envy is to have compassion for a person, no matter how easy you think they've got it, to, if you can, communicate and try to um, learn from them and be inspired by them and build a, a valuable relationship with them instead of um, being too proud that you can't admit that you are, you know, inspired by this person or you view them as being above you or something. Um, because all of those feelings of inferiority, of insecurity, uh, they often go away if we just confront what we feel inferior to or what we feel insecure to. You know, if you spend some time with a person who you think has it all, who you think is so much better than you, who you envy with all your heart, you spend time with them, you'll realize that they're just another person who, you know, eats and shits and has insecurities and feels unhappy, you know, a fair amount of the time and has a lot of things to deal with that you wouldn't even think um, of when you're creating this fantastical projection of what their life is like inside of your head. And that's crucial. 
because it, going through life envious instead of inspired is just stupid, honestly, because we're, you're shooting yourself in the foot and pushing other people away from you when you have just you can just as easily make the choice to connect with others to under try to understand them on a deeper level than just how they appear on the surface uh, and to learn from them so that you can feel empowered and inspired and uh, engaged with whatever sort of dynamic you're trying to feel engaged with um, you know the way to stop feeling like things are lacking isn't to deprive yourself of them further but to explore what's missing between you and the feeling of contentment, basically. It's funny, I like, think about how maybe five or six years ago, I was always, for my whole life, always people I was envious of and people that I wanted to be like. And then as soon as I started meditating on a regular basis, I really stopped caring because when you start to engage internally with yourself and cultivate an inner dialogue that's... Um, that's constructive and realistic instead of fantastical. Um, you kind of stop having all the fake positive feelings and you stop having all the fake negative feelings. And I think envy is just the most clear-cut example of a fake negative feeling because you're making it all up. You know, you're, you're, it's all assumption. And um, navigating the world through assumptions is the opposite, the antithesis of Zen. We're supposed to shed our concepts and experience the world directly. Um, and so experiencing it through your beliefs about others that are mistaken because you haven't experienced the lives of others is the ultimate faux pas of uh, pure mind, as a Zen teacher might say, in uh, fewer words than I, because their brevity is the essence of wit. <laughs> um, okay, what's next? Someone said, making peace with the past, which, as always, these all end up tying into each other very nicely. Um, usually, as we get older or hit certain peaks and valleys in life, the, the past, the influence of the past, um, as this sort of similar material projection um, to what I was just talking about, the past as fantasy uh, finds its way into our lives and starts to control them. And the way past that is similarly, the way, this is why, you know, it seems so, so stupid and easy to say that meditation is a cure-all, but if you stop looking at, as a, at, looking at it as a cure-all and start looking at it as this essential practice of life, like breathing or drinking or eating or exercising, you start to see it's, it's part in the process of cultivating um, a, a, a healthy mind. Because when we let the when we let the past control us, you start to exit the world of experience and enter the world of of um, intellectualization, overanalysis, um, overthinking, neurosis. You start to sort of get stuck in your own head and you know, reliving all of these um, imagine, imaginary narratives about yourself in the past, thinking about how they could relate to who you might become in the future. And all of this energy is spent uh, at the expense of experiencing reality as it is right now. 
because you're not the same, you know, you're not the same person that you were in the past and you're not the same person that you're going to be in the future. Every second, your entire sphere of influence and experience is morphed slightly into something new, sort of like a, an amoeba or an organism or something. And there's parts of you that have been with you since you were born and there's parts of you that come and go. And all of it is basically theoretical, minus your actual corpus or body. Um, and so the best way to make peace with the past is to just kind of realize this and to um, understand yourself as both unchangeable and changing um, in different ways. And to accept that some of you won't change and accept that some of you will change and you might lose parts of yourself that you like, you might gain parts of yourself that you don't like, and vice versa. And the more you fall into the trap of liking or not liking parts of yourself that you experience naturally as time goes on, uh, the more difficult it's going to be to jog yourself out of the mindset that causes you to experience the, the fake disruptive parts. The experience of the true self, I think, comes when we stop attaching ourselves so much to... Um, past, future, present idealizations. So being like, oh, man, things really aren't like they used to be. Or, oh, man, I'm really excited for things to be like how I think they're going to be. Or, oh, man, I wish I wasn't, I wish I, you know, those are all just ways of saying, oh, I really wish I didn't have to do this right now, be here now. You're saying that I don't, you don't want to be here now. Uh, which is basically like saying, I wish I was dead, because all you have is right now, and there's no reason to put a barrier between yourself and the present um, because that only holds you back and sort of prevents you from living as you should be living, which is fully engaged, uh, wholesome, and honest with yourself about like where you're at and what you're doing. And if you don't like it, you, you know, it's, you just got to do it anyway. So you shouldn't judge it. You should just engage with it and let yourself, um, let yourself transform the present into what it should be right now instead of being like, oh, I'll never feel that way again or, oh, I can't wait for this incredible thing that's going to happen maybe in the future because the past is dead and the future can't be planned. And we cause ourselves so much suffering pretending that we're fully in control of all these things when they're just as abstract and theoretical as all the other weird stories that we tell ourselves about what life is or what we're supposed to do or who we are. Um, and, you know, your daily reflection time and your daily meditation time will help you sort out um, all of these fake projections that you make about other people, about yourself, about the past, about the present and the future, about your feelings, about your thoughts. You know, it all starts to, the dust all starts to settle over time and you can kind of see past it. Alan Watts said, uh, muddy water is best cleared by leaving it alone. And so, you know, that's my favorite, basically. If you just sit and you let all the crap settle to the bottom, you'll be able to see clearly through. I like to think that, you know, imagine staring, at a fish staring through a fish tank full of muddy water at a mirror. Um, and you can't see yourself in the mirror when the, when the water is muddy. This is how I view, like, my daily meditation practice. At the start, my brain is all chaotic and crazy and I can't see myself through the water and then slowly the the mud starts to settle and my image of myself as it really is um, 
begins to appear. And with that, you know, there's sort of a sigh of relief, like, a, oh, okay, you know, I'm still here. I'm not my thoughts. Nothing's changed. Um, and even if it has, it's not a big deal because there's nothing I can do about it. And so you just accept everything and be one with yourself. For a little while each day is the crucial practice. And that's the essence of all of this stuff to begin with. Um, well, I'm at the 30-minute mark, basically, so I'm going to sign off, and I have other topics to hit next time. Probably not till I get back from this retreat, though maybe I'll figure out a way to record one while I'm there, because I'm sure I'll have lots of... Um, I've never just sat and meditated for a whole week for like five hours a day, so I'm sure I'll have some sort of... Uh, some sort of, you know, thoughts or feelings I'll want to um, share and express through my discussion of these topics over the course of the next week. And then either way, when I'm back, I'll produce a normal episode. So thanks for listening. Um, if you like this, please uh, consider supporting Daily Zen by buying my book on Amazon. It's just called Daily Zen by Charlie Ambler. Um, there's a link to it in my Twitter. If you found us on iTunes, follow Daily Zen on Twitter, twitter.com slash daily zen. Um, and uh, don't forget to meditate every day. Every day. Don't skip. Just because there's no reason to skip it. There's an old Zen saying, uh, meditate for 20 minutes a day. Uh, if you don't have 20 minutes, meditate for an hour. Because if you can't find time, a little bit of time each day to sit and reflect quietly... Uh, there's something wrong, unfortunately. So I hope you have a wonderful week. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.